1997, Bret Hart turned his back on an entire country. For the hitman, the USA became his number one target. But Bret Hart's heel turn really started in June 1996 at the King of the Ring, though he might not have realised it at the time. This was the moment when the seeds of Bret Hart's heel turn were sown. Stone Cold Steve Austin had just won the King of the Ring tournament. Afterwards, he cut the promo of his life after defeating Jake the Snake Roberts. Austin's 316 promo caused WWF fans to sit up and listen. Soon, the boos would turn to deafening cheers for the Texas Rattlesnake. Bret Hart wasn't on the show. He was taking an eight-month hiatus from the WWF after WrestleMania 12. After his loss to Shawn Michaels in the Iron Man match, many fans were left to wonder if he would ever return to the ring. But Brett had been watching, and he knew that his position as number one babyface was at risk. Throughout the 90s, Hart had played the good guy on TV, but the standard babyface routine from the 1980s and early 90s was now out of date. The new millennium was looming, and the fans wanted to see something different. The simple story of good versus evil was overused, Things were no longer just black and white. Sometimes heroes could also be villains. It was early days, but Steve Austin was fast emerging into this role of anti-hero. Here was a man that looked like he took no shit. He spoke his mind and he got the job done. Bret Hart had one of the sharpest minds in the wrestling business and he recognised this shift in dynamics. He also recognised how Steve Austin was about to become the WWF's hottest superstar. Austin had debuted in the WWF months before as the Ringmaster. The Ringmaster obviously had unleashed potential. Anyone who'd seen him in WCW knew that already. In WCW, he was known as Stunning Steve Austin, where he was part of Paul Heyman's Dangerous Alliance. He was a former tag team champion and United States champion, and there were high hopes for him in the Federation. After a poor start in the Ringmaster gimmick, Austin took up the moniker of Stone Cold. He became more violent and started speaking for himself, and the fans liked what they were hearing. And so, Hart personally chose him for their match at the 1996 Survivor Series. It's always been difficult to pinpoint exactly when the Attitude Era started, there's not exactly one moment where everything changed for the WWF, but more a series of events that took place in late 1996 and 1997. One of those events was the feud between Hart and Austin. In the storyline, Austin goaded Hart for weeks before he returned to the WWF. Austin believed that he was the best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be. And he wanted to prove that fact in the middle of the ring. On October the 21st, 1996, Hart made his return to answer Austin's challenge, and a match was set for the Survivor Series in November. Hart's comeback match at the Survivor Series in Madison Square Garden was possibly the final time he got a massively positive reaction from an American crowd. The match between Hart and Austin was excellent. 
Hart's character had remained unchanged for nearly a decade. He first turned babyface back in 1988 and he was a proud hero to fans around the world. He brought a sense of excitement and athleticism to the WWF roster in the late 80s and early 90s. The fans latched onto him because his wrestling style was so different to the other men on the roster at the time. The Bret Hart that we saw in the late 80s was almost identical to the Bret Hart we saw in 1996. The moves, the looks and the promos all remained relatively unchanged. In the interim, he'd become a three-time WWF champion, a two-time Intercontinental champion and a two-time tag team champion. As a good guy, he'd achieved plenty and so now it was time to renew his character he began setting the stage for a heel turn. At the Royal Rumble, the feud between Hart and Austin intensified. While Hart had technically eliminated Austin, the referees were distracted, allowing Austin to sneak back in and toss Hart over the top rope. Unsurprisingly, Hart was livid. Austin continued to stalk Hart for the next few months, making his life extremely difficult. During a match with Vader, Austin attacked the Hitman. The next week, Hart returned the favour. This was a new, previously unseen, aggressive side to Hart that was beginning to show. After losing a WWF title match to Psycho Sid, Hart confronted Vince McMahon and pushed him over. He grabbed the microphone and cut a promo. He used explicit language for the first time, which was an unprecedented act for anybody in the company, and he expressed his frustration. Just one week later, Hart and Austin had one of the greatest WrestleMania matches of all time, but now the heel-face dynamic was very different. But Bret Hart's heel turn was going to come with an unusual twist. It was Vince McMahon's genius idea that Hart could remain a hero around the world except in the US, where he would be a bad guy. Such a complex heel turn to be a villain in one place on the planet and a hero everywhere else was groundbreaking. Nothing like it had ever been done before. In his book, Brett wrote, As I dropped to the floor, signs danced in my face. Brett who? And go back to Canada. But kids still pulled out the front of their Hitman shirts as they high-fived me to show me that they were with me. But one frothing at the mouth, irate fan gave me the middle finger. I thrust one right back and mouthed, fuck you too. I loved it. The match, everything. If I ever wanted my fans to remember just one picture of me, it would be that moment as I was walking back to the dressing room. On the episode of Raw after WrestleMania, Hart delivered an impassioned 22-minute promo. He angrily said that it was the US fans who'd abandoned him, preferring to cheer for wrestlers like Austin and Psycho Sid, who'd stopped him from regaining the WWF title. Hart also mentioned real-world figures like OJ Simpson and Charles Manson, saying that Americans idolised criminals. In just one promo, Hart's character had been refreshed. He'd been basically cutting the same promo for nearly a decade, but this is one that fans were going to remember. In an interview, Hart said, I remember in the beginning, they would have me say stuff. I remember I'm walking this line between being a babyface and a heel, 
And I remember a lot of times saying, I've got to say something smarter than that. I can't just go out there and say stupid stuff. I'm kind of still a baby face. It has to be done in a very intelligent way. I think there was an effort to keep it pretty smart in the beginning. The week after, Brett gave a speech to his brother Owen and Davy Boy Smith. He spoke about family unity and how American influence had divided the Hart family over the last few years. The climax of this segment saw the three men embrace in the ring and the new Hart Foundation was born. The Hart Foundation quickly became the WWF's most important and powerful faction. By 1997, the Canada vs USA angle became the WWF's hottest storyline. Hart suffered a knee injury which forced him out of the ring, but he kept on cutting vitriolic, anti-American promos on the microphone. The peak of the storyline came at the In Your House Canadian Stampede pay-per-view in July. The fans in Calgary that evening were electric. The main event saw the Hart Foundation, who were made up of Bret Hart, Brian Pillman, the British Bulldog, Jim Neidhart and Owen Hart, face Ken Shamrock, Gold Dust, the Legion of Doom and Stone Cold Steve Austin. The Hart Foundation's entrance in Calgary was met with a roar of approval from the Canadian fans. This was one of the hottest crowds the WWF had had for years. In his book, Hart said... This event was not just another show for Calgary. They had a long-standing bond with Stu's Stampede Wrestling. They'd witnessed its evolution, cheered during its peaks, and stood by during the lows. Now seeing us like a band of brothers at the pinnacle of the profession was their way of showing gratitude. This was their tribute to all of us, and particularly to Stu. As 1997 went on, Hart's anti-American character continued to develop. In his promos, he tore into America about issues like gun control and healthcare, all while proudly flying the Canadian flag. At SummerSlam, Hart won the WWF Championship in a match against The Undertaker. For the match, Shawn Michaels was the special guest referee. A chair shot from Michaels to The Undertaker allowed Hart to get the win, but the unexpected result of this chair shot was that it turned Michael's heel. This heel turn messed up Hart's momentum because the fans found it easier to hate Michael's. In one motion, Michael's overtook Hart as the company's number one heel, and this was going to be a big problem. Hart's heel turn took another hit when the Patriot was introduced. This masked character was supposed to embody the United States of America, but it felt incredibly two-dimensional and hokey, and it didn't feel right in this situation. American fans had been hoping for someone with a bit more gravitas to rally behind, someone who could genuinely capture the pride of the nation. The Patriot, with his over-the-top betrayal and almost cartoonish approach, fell short of those expectations. The supposed all-American hero picked up a pinfall victory over Hart in July and he even got a WWF title shot against Hart at the Ground Zero pay-per-view. But thankfully they kept the feud short and Hart did his best to make the most of the storyline. As 1997 wore on, the Canada vs USA narrative went cold. Shawn Michaels had now completely overtaken Hart 
as the top heel in the company, and Michael's antics as part of D-Generation X made him really easy to hate, and by the time the 1997 Survivor Series rolled around, Hart's heel persona was out of date. That was where it kind of petered out. When they cut the power on me, Vince mysteriously ran out of ideas about the end of August. One of the things that happened after SummerSlam, after I worked with The Patriot and The Undertaker, but that time period, they just cut the power. If you watch my promos for the next two months, I'm walking out there, and it's the same thing as I had in WCW, where I don't know what I'm talking about. I don't have anything to say other than I'm saying what I said the week before. It's just ranting about Canadians being better than Americans. And in hindsight, it's clear why Vince McMahon lost interest in Hart's heel character around this time. He'd already realised that he couldn't afford to keep Brett under contract, and advised him to take a job offer from WCW instead. Which of course led to the Montreal Screwjob, a real-life betrayal that would affect Hart mentally for years to come. The weight of the Montreal Screwjob cast a shadow over Hart's incredible WWF career. It overshadowed everything he'd achieved over the last decade. It's a shame that Hart's final year in the WWF is mostly remembered for the Screwjob because Bret Hart's 1997 heel turn was actually some of his best work. For him to pivot from the much-loved Hitman persona to the anti-American Canadian nationalist was an incredibly brave move, and he was really good at portraying it. <laughs> 